Rob Shank here. Welcome to Shank Talks Bonhoeffer, where we do just that. We talk about this remarkable young church leader in 1930s Germany during the rise of Adolf Hitler and Nazism, his moral courage, his intellectual brilliance, and his activism, which would uh, save many lives but cost him his own. So he lived out his testimony of submission to God and obedience to Christ uh, in the most dramatic ways, including the surrender of his own life. And we talk about things that Bunhofer would have, I think, talked about during his own time. And one of the features of his life that's often missed in the recounting of it is the number of women that surrounded him and the important roles they had in his universe. Of course, his own mother, his grandmother, uh, seminarians that were under his charge during a time when it was not popular for women to uh, take theological studies. Uh, he had several under his charge and he respected them enormously. And, you know, you get a lot out of his writings, of course, including his love letters to his own fiancee, uh, who, of course, was another female presence in the life and formation of uh, his remarkable uh, story and uh, his journey to ministry and martyrdom. So today we are going to talk about women. One of my favorite subjects, and I have one of my favorite women friends, colleagues, uh, fellow ministers of the gospel with me, uh, and you've heard me talk about her before, the Reverend Dr. Honorable Susan D. Johnson Cook, who served as ambassador at large for international religious freedom for an historic president, Barack Obama, we met under unlikely circumstances, uh, but, but Sujay, as I affectionately know her, became one of the most important people in my world and remains that to this very moment. And again, takes her place uh, with uh, women in my story, like my own mother, my wife, Cheryl, uh, my partner in many uh, endeavors these days, Abigail Disney. And here sits one of the wisest women I've ever known, the Reverend Dr. Susan D. Johnson Cook. Sujay, thank you for joining me on Shank Talks Bunhofer. Where I'd like to begin is just your own reflections. You've been not just a leading woman yourself, but you have been a leader among many women and men, uh, but this is really a passion for you. And you have your own organization that is dedicated to that purpose. Can you just talk a little bit about that? Sure, so thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be with you. You know, I have always had powerful women in my life. My mother, my late mother, Dorothy C. Johnson, my grandmother, Leona Thomas, and Martha Porch and my aunt. We were all in this one house down in North Carolina that I spent every summer. And they were the women who taught me to fly, let me soar, never put me in a box, and never boxed me out. And so because of that, I came out very confident and very competent 
And I always knew that I had to give back to other women who did not have the benefit of that kind of upbringing, who didn't have the kind of exposure. And so it's been a passion for me. I had two sons, you know, I'm a mother of sons, but I'm around a lot of women who just don't have the exposure and the opportunity. So Bishop T.D. Jake said one time that God gives talent, but man or woman has to give opportunity. So wherever I can open doors, because so many doors have been opened for me by men and women, that's what I try to do for women leaders at this point in my life. I call it chapter five, the fifth chapter, as you're kind of going into this season. Um, you know, you've done a lot, you've been courageous as Bonhoeffer was, and now it's like your turn. And so for me, my, part of my turn is, how do I help other women have their turn? And so provoiceinternational.org is our website and my organization is Pro Voice or Pro Boss in, in Spanish for women, where we not, we're not giving women voice, but we're amplifying the voices of women. And particularly women of color who really have not had a chance to get to the table. You know, Cheryl Sandberg said a few years ago, lean in. And my thing is we can't lean in until we get in. So how do we get people on their track, on their path, uh, so they don't end life saying, I wish I could have, I wish I should have, but that I did and I was able to do it and I was happy doing it and I was fulfilled doing it. So that's really kind of my ministry now, really ministry to women leaders, whatever path. Because the other thing is that most people in my generation are trailblazing women. We've had to kind of make the path, you know? Mm -hmm. So the people behind us shouldn't have to make a path. They should be able to walk on the paths that we've blazed as I'm walking on paths that others before me blazed. And so it's each, you know, they used to say in the community, each one reach one, each one teach one. But it's also about each one open a door and keep the door mm -hmm. open. Beautiful way of, of expressing that. And of course, I've seen the rooms that you fill with extraordinary women, women leaders, emerging leaders. And uh, by the way, folks, I've dropped in on Sue Jay at her place on the waterfront. I won't tell you more than that because you don't want anybody invading this place that isn't invited. But anyway, she has a lovely place on the waterfront in Washington. We hear a little bit of noise in the background. Maybe somebody's remodeling, but don't let it bother you. We're just having a great conversation and, and talking about noise, the, the women that you are holding the door open for mm -hmm. and, and escorting through, mm -hmm. if you will, mm -hmm. uh, from one strategic place to another, uh, are, are really making noise in their respective, and not just noise, uh, these are clarion calls right. for others to follow, to take their places of leadership in the world uh, in our uh, country and in society in general, in different segments of it. And you've been a leader in a lot of segments. Yeah, well, you've I mean, been a first. Yeah, first. In I'm many first places. Female chaplain for NYPD, first female and faith leader and African American to be U.S. ambassador at large for international religious freedom. You know, Not so to mention Hampton Ministers, Hampton Ministers Association, Conference which has first. its own story, it right? Does. Because of women emerging within that community. Yeah, it was the old boys club. And uh, so for a hundred years, they didn't have a woman in leadership or even in office. And I was fortunate enough to make my ascendancy. I started off as necrologist, which is the entry level position and stayed on the stage for 16 years until I could bang the gavel as the first female president. But I had been going 26 years 
before I had that moment to be mm. president. So, you know, I've seen things at the beginning when there were closed doors and people were not that open, but I've also seen God's hand move, including you. You know, people, God sends people into our lives at important times to help us and to open doors. So I want to thank you also because you were an integral part of, of my growth, particularly in this path to U.S. Ambassador. And unless someone opens the door and helps you, um, that's what we call the network. You know, sometimes you don't get to the places, even if it was your destined place, because there are a whole lot of people holding the door closed who are saying, we don't want you. You were created for this position. When we had this position in mind, we didn't have you in mind. And so there are people holding the door. So you need someone who says, look, I'll make this introduction. I'll make the call. I'll do whatever. So that's what I try to do now for a lot of women. It's like the parable, the man by Bethesda's pool for 38 years, mm -hmm. um, you know, and some people have been in the same spot for 38 years. And so, you know, the water is there, but they can't get to it. You know, so Jesus comes along and says, hey, I'm here. Do you want to be a home? So you've not only got to make your move, but what I'm helping women do is make your mark. Mm -hmm. You know, no, no matter how long it took to get here, you now have to make a move and you now have to leave a mark. And that's what legacy is because there's a generation looking at you, waiting to come through the door, waiting to get to the waters. And unless you model it, unless you pave the way, unless you open the door, they won't get there. So we're going to have two or three decades more women waiting on the sidelines? No, let's get, all get in the game. Mm, and you know, as you say that, I reflect on uh, our very warm collegial relationship, mm -hmm. uh, our professional relationship. You know, I met you when you were a trial balloon for at the State Department, yes. when your name was, uh, you know, uh, let out uh, and, uh, you know, uh, lifted off as a trial balloon yes. for the Obama administration when they were suggesting, you know, possible candidates for this critical role. Right. I would argue the most critical diplomatic uh, post in our government. And the reason I argue for that is because there's no deeper conviction than a religious conviction. There, there's no more precious and, and, and prized uh, freedom mm -hmm. than the freedom to worship according to one's own conscience. Exactly. Or in not any to society, worship. exactly. In any society. Yeah. And it's also the portfolio, as you have often pointed out, the only one to have all the nations, all the countries on earth in that portfolio. <laughs> yeah, she's got most the ambassadors whole world get, Yeah, <laughs> you know? literally, right? Yeah. Uh, because most ambassadors will have one country. Right. They so might have two. Right. But uh, virtually to a one, they have one country. You had 199 mm -hmm. countries. That's a big portfolio. Exactly. I think only Syria was not in it. Any failed states were not part of it. But I think it was only mm -hmm. Syria at the time. You know, so yeah, it was a you know it was it was a huge portfolio, and it was just when ISIS and Boko Haram and extremism were really just starting to get some attention. Not that they hadn't been around, but they were kind of just in their incubation stage. Now we see it full, full blown. So really, the position was about going to religious war zones. Mm -hmm. You know, where where it was hot and there was not 
open and welcoming to people to have that freedom of expression and worship. So to be able to sit with people, number one, governments to say, look, you need to open your doors, but then to sit with the people who were the minority, religious minorities mm -hmm. who were outcasts or who had to have underground worship, you know, that, that had an impact and an effect on me. I could see the faces now, the Uyghurs and other people who just kind of never got a chance, but for me to be able to at least push the needle a little bit, you know, you can't change everything in one administration. Bob Seiple, who was the first ambassador in this position, said, um, you get two or three deliverables, you know, so what can you make a difference? So mine were bringing women to the table, bringing faith leaders to the table, and establishing the religion and foreign policy working group and female faces of faith. Those are institutionalized, they're still going on. They went under Secretary wow. Kerry, now Secretary, uh, our new Secretary, and Brownback, and so they're going on. So there have been, you know, five of us in that role. The current one, Sam Brownback. But tw about two weeks ago, they celebrated the 20th anniversary of the Earth Act, or the International Religious Freedom Act. And all five- Which created of, the office. Which created the office of the U.S. Ambassador at Large. was signed under President Clinton, and when Madeleine Albright was secretary. But it had been in the works for about 12 years. Our good friend Joe Grabowski and others, well. Tom Wolfe, had been part of the architecture of that. So here we are in the same room at the same time, all of us alive. Um, and so we stood on the stage together for the first time, you know, uh, these four <laughs> Caucasian men and this one African-American woman. Beautiful. Um, but you know, it is a symbol of what America is all about, that there's room for everyone at mm -hmm. the table. And so we're continuing in our work. I work with the Religious Freedom Center, teaching courses to the upcoming generation of those who are interested in religious freedom. And just yesterday, actually, was able to teach the historically black seminaries from all over the USA, all in the same room for the first time, all of their instructors in the room for the first time. And I was the one who was the ambassador, the distinguished visiting professor. Um, so just, you know, the doors that have been open have been incredible. And it's still a passion of mine, both women leaders and certainly international religious freedom, helping those who cannot help themselves or opening doors for those who the door has been shut on. So that's really kind has of my ministry. Has the ring of the gospel to it. Oh, has it sounds the ring like of it. the gospel to it. <laughs> and, you know, I just want to speak for a minute to our podcast listeners here. Did you know any of this was going on behind the scenes? Everything that uh, Ambassador Johnson Cook just rattled off as, as regular conversation for her. Did you know about any of it? Uh, most Americans don't. They don't have any idea of what is happening on, with these questions right. or in these arenas. But these are the things that help shape and form our culture. Very much so. Our American culture, our Christian culture, I dare say. Very much so. And of course, it's one of the reasons that very early on when we talked in just at the concept stage mm -hmm. of establishing the Dietrich Bonhoeffer Institute, well, you can guess one of the people I first turned to was the Honorable Susan D. Johnson Cook for the reasons you just heard and many, many more. Uh, and I'd like to talk about that, Sujay, just for a minute, which sure. is your seat on the Board of Governors mm -hmm. for the Dietrich Bonhoeffer Institute. You're mm -hmm. a very important player at the table. And I know, you know, there are things about, different things that about Bonhoeffer that attract different kinds of people. But, uh, you know, of course, we have our 
uh, wonderful Christian friendship and our collaboration in so many arenas. I think about Bonhoeffer and ecumenism, for example, a very big part of his life, often missed, mm -hmm. but reaching out to different not just Christian denominations, right. but to other religious traditions was a very, very important part of Bonhoeffer's life and work. Well, he, this conversion happened at a black church, Abyssinian Baptist Church. And there we go. Yeah, uh, yeah, in where in we fact, were able to since worship. you mentioned it, <laughs> yeah. you took me to Abyssinian. You yeah. introduced me to, uh, to Pastor Butts at, mm -hmm. at uh, Abyssinian Baptist. And if you don't know the background of that, folks, uh, get a hold of Reginald Williams' book, Bunhofer's Black Jesus, mm -hmm. tells the whole story of his encounter in Harlem while he was a fellow at Union Theological Seminary, which you have an association with. Exactly, and they opened up their library to you too. Thank but you at your introduction, <laughs> well, at your introduction, you. sister, and I saw Bunhofer's actual uh, work yeah. in that box. Yeah. It, 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 it reduced me to tears, and I'm But listeners should also get costly grace because you really delve into the Bonhoeffer that affected you mm -hmm. and the morals and the ethics by which you stand and by which he stood. So he was a combination of courage, an ethical man, morale, moral man. Um, I think all those combinations that he wasn't afraid to cross the aisles racially, politically, or uh, any other way. So I think those were the reasons I was attracted to sit on your board. It wasn't just because of our friendship, although that was strong, but it is about, about a person who takes a stand for what he believes. And that's what Bonhoeffer did, that's what you did. Against many odds, costly grace. There was a cost to what you did to opening doors for me. There was a cost for what Bonhoeffer did with his life, you know, for opening doors. And I think for me, you know, courage is a sign of a strong man or woman. And that's one of the reasons I took the seat because I believe in his work, I believe in your work. And I believe in the work that you're doing with a generation of fellows who want to sit at your feet, uh, interns who want to come and work with you. And so I think you're strong. And, and so I, I took the board seat, not because I needed another thing to do, uh, because my plate is like a smorgasbord, um, but because I believe in the work that you do. And so I think that people need to know you get the book, Costly Grace. We had a book signing, you had an interview about it. Um, and I just believe- By the way, there are two Costly Grace titles, mm -hmm. uh, one by Eberhard Bethke, who was Bonhoeffer's closest uh, confidant mm -hmm. and would become his biographer after uh, Bonhoeffer's death. And that's really worth a read. It's a short read and really worth a read. So get the first Costly Grace. And, and then mine is Costly Grace and Evangelical Ministers Rediscovery of Faith, Hope, and Love. And that's where I kind of like to uh, end our conversation here. And that is that when I first met you, I was in a little different headspace. <laughs> Uh, you know, I had spent 30 years as a very conservative, mm -hmm. arguably right-wing uh, Christian activist. Mm -hmm. And if you held a door for me, dear sister, you held the door open for me to see the other side, if you will, the democratic, progressive, liberal, I now say more expansive view of the gospel, mm -hmm. and you helped me so much. And I want to express great 
gratitude to God and to you mm -hmm. for helping me see that other side to, to get a stereo optical view instead of a uh, what, myopic kind of myopic yeah. view. Right. But I often say to people when I'm making my speeches or talking about the position, I said I had to sit with them, meaning mm. all of it. But I said they had to sit with me too. And I think yes. for all of us, we cross some aisles, we cross some places that the nation fears. Mm. Like if you go on the other side, something's going to happen to you. I think what makes us a wonderful United States of America is that we can talk to each other. We don't have to always agree, but we can at least hear another perspective. And that's what I try to do at Pro Voice. It's connections, it's celebrations of women, but it's also conversations with women mm. who may not have been raised the way we were, who were on the other side of the aisle, who have been in places we have not been, but at the same time, we're in places that they've not been. And so it's the two coming together that make us whole. Um, I'm not whole by myself and you're not whole by yourself, but so when we walk together, we can create a wonderful dynamic. So I always say this, one and one equals two, except when it's side by side, then it's 11. Oh. And that means it has a multiplying effect. Yeah. And that's the impact we've had. When we're a dynamic duo, we have a multiplying effect, a magnanimous effect on this country. So I hope this is not the end. This is just the beginning of what God's going to do in both of our lives. There is nothing that could top that finale. So thank you, Susan D. Johnson Cook, the Reverend Dr. Honorable. Thank you, dear Sujay, my dear sister in Christ, my great friend. Thank you, folks, for joining us in this conversation. If Can I people, invite people to? Please do. I was just okay. about to invite you to please tell folks how they can find you and your work. Wonderful. Pro Voice Movement at gmail.com is the email or provoiceinternational.org is the website. All my social media is Ambassador Sujay, S-U-J-A-Y. So at Twitter, it's at Ambassador Sujay. Facebook, it's Ambassador Sujay. Uh, Instagram, it's Ambassador underline, underscore Sujay. So look under S-U-J-A-Y or Susan with a Z so you can remember me, Susan Johnson Cook. You can find me everywhere. And you're not getting uh, out, out the exit that easy because the other thing I want you to mention are your book titles, oh. all of which have been very enriching to me, to Cheryl, to uh, both women and men in my universe. And I was just kind of uh, paging through a few of them on our way into this room to do this interview. So name a few of the top and you've got one in the works. Definitely. So if you go to Amazon and put my name in Susan Johnson Cook, Susan with a Z, Johnson Cook, no hyphen, no E. The most recent title is Soul Sisters, uh, Devotions for and from African-American, Asian and Latino women. It's a book of 48 women who talk thematically about our lives together as multicultural women. The one that's the bestseller is called Too Blessed to be Stressed, words of wisdom for women on the move. And it's having a resurgence because a whole lot of people are stressed out in this administration. And then the first bestseller is called Sister to Sister, devotions for and from African-American women. But all 13 of my titles are on um, the internet under Amazon, Susan Johnson Cook. If you Google my name, all 13 will come down. The one that I'm working on now is to help women 
it's a working title right now, but it's to help women in the next season of our lives. When you pass that 50 mark, you know, for men, they call it a uh, halftime. Mm. Um, but for women, there's really not a lot of literature. So look out probably around October or November um, on Judson Press, and it's going to be for women in the fifth chapter of our lives. Beautiful. Well, and as the, these books aren't just for you. Think about the gifts. Think what these kinds of uh, materials can be as a gift to somebody else to help Please. them. Lots of important people in your world that could benefit, and that can become part of your ministry, is handing out uh, this kind. That's what I do. I give away books. I give away a lot of books. Yes. And it's part of my personal ministry. Very and of course, so. I give away lots of books on Bonhoeffer, and you'll always find recommended reading at tdbi.org, the sponsor of this broadcast, or rather podcast, excuse me, I'm using old language. Uh, the the, the uh, sponsor for this podcast is, of course, the Dietrich Bonhoeffer Institute, or what we know as tdbi.org, tdbi.org. You can find me there, you can find a lot of resources there, and if you want to know about this, this remarkable individual that has drawn both Sujay and me, uh, to uh, study him and uh, to perpetuate his legacy and to impart his wisdom to others, you'll find out everything you want to know about Dietrich Bonhoeffer at tdbi.org. Thanks, Sujay. Thanks for having me.